Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. But thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. The reason you're alive, in case you're wondering, is I need to know what you know and who you've told. Salk's voice had lost any forced aspect that I was used to hearing the times that we intersected at the hospital. He stood in front of me, hands on his waist and the unpleasant smile still on his lips, as though he were getting ready to punish an unruly child and savoured the idea. I understand that you can lie. And I understand that torture is not foolproof, but I have to try, don't I? I looked up at him, fear and rage warring in my heart. I know you're a murderer. I know you killed Rebecca. Salk gave a fake wince as I said her name. Yeah, that was my best choice. I knew that taking someone from where I worked was risky, but I needed someone and she was just there, like a gift. It was easy at the time, but hindsight. If I had known that you were going to be a super sleuth, I would have tried to hold off. He smiled again, and I was reminded of Alicia comparing him to a shark. It was apt. But let's move past that. What do you really know? I felt my jaw clenching as anger won out. To hell with you. I've told you the only thing that's important. The expression fell on Salk's face, like rotten meat off of a bone. Dead-eyed and silent, he bent down and began pulling off my right shoe. I tried to struggle briefly, but I didn't budge. I needed to save my energy for when I could make it out. My left wrist also seemed to be slightly looser, so Salk reached back into the pool of darkness surrounding us. 
and I heard the sound of metal being dragged across the concrete a moment before the hammer came into view. He brought the hammer up to my face for a moment, but he didn't ask another question. Instead, he brought the head of the hammer down straight on my right pinky toe with enough force to burst the flesh and pulverize the bone. I know that I screamed, but honestly, I don't remember it. I was too concerned with the bomb going off in my head as the pain reached my brain. I felt myself slip towards blackness, and then I was back out again. My head was spinning as I gasped for breath, and I realized that I was flailing involuntarily as though my body had decided that it was time to escape regardless of any plan that I might have. With great effort, I slowed my breathing and movement. It was hard to think about anything but the pain, but... I had to try and hold on. I couldn't see my foot, but I could tell from the force and the spray of blood that had shot across the floor into the dark that the toe was crushed, if not torn off completely. That meant that I would be slower if I had to run, but it might possibly make my foot easier to slip free if I didn't black out again. Of course, that was always assuming that he ever left me alone long enough for me to try before he had broken me too badly for it to matter. Sulk was snapping his fingers in front of my face, his expression still blank but his voice cold and angry. Pay attention. This is your next chance. What else do you know? I knew that I needed to cooperate at least partially to minimize any damage and slow things down. Through clenched teeth, I muttered, I know you give things to that monster to kill, or you are that monster. I don't see how you could be, but who knows? That's what else I know. He nodded. So you don't know much, it sounds like, if you're telling the truth, which you probably aren't. But still, it's a good start. He suddenly slammed the hammer down again on my foot a bit further in, my world exploded into red and black, and this time I heard myself screaming for a moment before I blacked out. When I came to, Salk was just standing there, arms by his side, bloody hammer in his left hand. His eyes rolled towards me when I opened mine, but he didn't move yet. Just stood there, statue still, watching me for a while as I tried to get my thoughts together. When he spoke... His face was still flat, but sounded lighter as though he was happier than he had been. Glad to see you're back. You're down three toes now, I'm afraid. In my expert opinion, they are beyond saving. His gaze flicked down to my feet for a moment. Two of them are pretty much not there anymore, if I'm being honest. But hopefully this is making my point. This is how much I hurt you when you cooperate, Imagine how much worse it'll be if you don't. I know how to break nearly every bone in your body without you dying from it quickly. And while I'm ill-equipped to keep you alive, long-term here, I can certainly break you enough that the rot and infection that slowly kills you down in this hole will make this. He waved the hammer towards my feet like the scepter of a bored king. Seem like pleasure. I was barely listening to what he was saying. I was too focused on trying to not look at his bloody finger. I had been watching him closely since I first woke here, and I didn't see any signs of him being faster or stronger than I would expect. If he typically hid some pre-natural strength or agility, 
it seemed unlikely that he would hide it now, particularly when he was trying so hard to frighten me. But it wasn't much hope by itself. Even normal Marcus Salk was perfectly capable of torturing and killing me as he was, to say nothing of that monster that I had seen, whether it was tied to Salk or somehow sprang from the man himself. But then, when I woke up, as he gave his best intimidating monologue and waved his hammer around, I saw it. His right index finger was bleeding. That was the hand that he was using to hold my foot when he hit it. That told me two things. First, he wasn't especially coordinated. Second, he could still be hurt. Ready to answer my next question? His voice remained lifeless, but it still had that lighter, almost merry edge to it. He was enjoying himself. I nodded, making a point of moving slower and more wearily than I felt. Yes, please, just water, please. I rasped my voice as much as I could, which wasn't hard in my current condition. It was hard to see what Salk was thinking, his face an emotionless mask as he seemed to consider my request. I felt my heart sinking as several seconds seemed to pass. Then his eyes shifted up in what might have been a look of exasperation. Fine, be right back. Don't go anywhere. He turned and moved into the dark. A door opened and a light came into the adjoining room. I could see much more of the basement now, including stairs at the far end that he had not taken. That meant that there was water down here and he would be back sooner. I frantically began tugging my left arm, ignoring the pain and protest of my wrist as I yanked and twisted with all my strength. I had been right too. The rope on my left wrist had some play in it, but I wasn't sure if it was enough yet. I started soaring the rope back and forth across my wrist quickly instead, and within a few seconds, I saw blood beginning to well around the rope. At the same time, I was aware of the light turning back off in the adjacent room as Salk returned. After a frantic motion to smear the blood more thoroughly on the rope, I gave a last pull to free my wrist. I felt something pop in it, but the blood had provided enough lubrication that it slipped free just as Salk stepped back into the light. Good. Just in time. Seriously. His voice was still too strangely flat to convey sarcasm well, but he punctuated it by throwing the glass of water that he had brought into my face. He sat the glass itself down on the floor and then bent forward, gripping my left arm roughly with his left hand as he began undoing the rope around the chair arm with his right. This is what I was waiting for. I knew that he favored his left hand, and that he would favor it more with his right one injured. He could have come at me from the side and been totally safe, but he was arrogant, and he thought that I was secure, harmless, and the fool had tied my chest with a bungee cord. An adult human male can bite down with over 200 pounds of pressure. Given the proper placement and force, it's more than enough to rip out the left internal and external carotid arteries in one bite. I had thought of the best angle if I got the chance, but I couldn't waste time trying to be perfect. In one movement, I leaned forward and down and then shot my face up into his neck, my mouth as wide as I could make it. Distracted with my arm and the rope, he couldn't react in time. 
I clamped down, grinding my teeth together as I felt skin, muscle, and then tendons give way. I shook my head as I pulled him down towards me, and I felt the arteries begin to shred as new volumes of blood sprayed down my throat and out into the room around my lips. I still didn't let go though, but I realized that Salk had been squealing, not really struggling or fighting back, but squealing like a dying animal. I didn't even hear it until it started to fade away. As his body went limp, the weight of it did the rest of the work for me. And with a wet snap, I was left with a mouthful of the man's throat as the rest of him crumbled to the floor. I spat it out and began working quickly to get free. Even with my injured wrist, it didn't take long. I kept an eye on Salk the entire time. He had lost more blood than any person can lose and live, but I had seen too much already that night. When I was free, I took the hammer and, well... I did what I had to do. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time that you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing-slash-time-expanding device is easy. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. When there was no question about him coming back, I began to explore the basement. The room next door was actually a full living space with a cot, a small kitchenette, and a bathroom. I found some bandages and antiseptic, doing the best that I could to protect my foot in the short term. Salk had been telling the truth, unfortunately. The last two toes on my right foot were now gone. After I was done with first aid, I began looking for any information that Salk could have left behind any clues about what was actually going on, what that creature was, but there was nothing that I could find. I felt my strength waning as the adrenaline started to wear off, so I got to work getting out of there as quickly as I could. I quickly pilfered his pockets and found his keys as well as my own. Moving up the basement stairs, I found the door at the top was locked, but after a tense moment, I found the key on Salk's key ring. I tried to move quickly as I went upstairs, 
Images of that terrible creature in the woods filling my head as I hobbled along. I was in a small ranch house it seemed, and when I opened the exterior door, I saw my battered little spy car outside. Apparently, Sulk had been forced to take it when his was wrecked, and by some miracle, it had actually made it this far. I desperately hoped that it could make it just a bit further. Standing in the doorway looking out, I saw I was out in the middle of nowhere. There was a dirt road leading away into the distance, but no sign of other lights from houses or cars or anything. I could tell that the sky was starting to lighten as dawn approached, but it was of little comfort at that moment. Aside from the terrible pain, I also felt exposed in this strange place where anything could be lurking about. I quickly went back inside to spread around the contents of a gas can that I had found in the basement, making sure to saturate anywhere that I had traveled and Salk's body as I went. Going back outside, I tried my car and it cranked up with a groaning whine, which meant, so far, so good. I had actually forgotten to find something to light the gasoline in my state, but the cigarette lighter from the car and a scrounged up piece of paper from my floorboard did the trick, and in a few minutes, I was driving away. Having no clue where I was though, I saw the tracks on the dirt road seemed to show Saul could come from the right, so that's the direction that I headed back in. Driving was really awkward as the car had no cruise control and I couldn't use my right foot to accelerate anymore. Thankfully, it was automatic and while it wasn't comfortable, that inconvenience was the least of my worries. More troublesome was my consciousness, which was dipping in and out as I drove. Gritting my teeth, I bumped my right foot against the interior of the car lightly, the surge of pain making me groan but bringing me back for the moment. I had a panicked thought and looked down at the gas gauge, remembering how low I had been before the wreck, but apparently Salk had to stop and get gas to get me all the way out here, because now there was over half a tank. I had the unironic thought that it was a lucky break, and then I started crying. Not just a little, but blinding, body-wrecking sobs to the point that I just had to pull over. I sat there in my dingy little spy car for some time just weeping. Part of it was the physical and emotional toll of the last few hours, but most of it was because it was over. Salk was finally dead. And that night, as I sat tired to his chair and said that him killing Rebecca was the only thing that was important, I had meant it. The monster, the mystery, none of that mattered. He had taken my life from me, my sweet, wonderful baby, and now I had ended him. But while that was relief in one way, it terrified me in another. For months I had been preoccupied with studying Sulk, with preparing my revenge. Now that it was done, I found myself standing at the edge of my black despair, the ground weakening under my feet as the new reality set in. I really had nothing left to do, nothing left to live for. Salk had taken my gun and knife, but there was still a box cutter in the glove compartment. I took it out and I held it for a while, testing its feel in my palm and the accompanying idea in my mind. And I won't lie, 
It was very tempting. But I kept thinking of what Rebecca would want me to do and of that terrified little boy in the moments before he died. I wasn't done. I couldn't even say whether or not killing Salk had killed the monster or if it was still out there and I hadn't come this far to quit on any of it, myself included. So I cranked back up and I drove on, hitting pavement and then a small town with a hospital nearly three hours from home. Hold up, I said, cutting my grandfather off mid-sentence. Just, just stop, okay? He frowned and nodded. Well, you've been sitting here for over two hours at this point, and as the old man talked, I had felt my anxiety grow into a kind of strange, angry fear. I stood up and began pacing, trying to rid myself of some of the nervous energy that I had been accumulating. So, wait. Summarizing, you killed this guy Salk, who killed your wife, and he either was this terrible beetle rat monster thing, or... He was working with him? Is that the short version? I realize now that I was pretty much yelling, but I didn't care. My grandfather opened his mouth to respond, but I talked over him. Okay, aside from the fact of how crazy that is, let's just go with it for now. Let's even say that you did kill this salt guy, who clearly couldn't be a monster because they don't exist, but that you were justified because he really did kill grandma. I paused to take a breath and, seeing the abject sadness on his face, I forced a calmer tone. How, how does any of that explain what I saw last night? What did you do to that woman? I was getting to it. That's a lot that you still don't understand. I shook my head. No, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. I get that you've been through a lot, okay? I do. I really do. And maybe you can't see how crazy some of this stuff is. But if you really believe all of this stuff, you need help. But I can't know what kind of help you need until I know what you've done. I tried to prepare myself for the question that I had been dreading asking all morning. Grandpa, did you kill that woman? He met my gaze solemnly, looking older in that moment than I had ever seen him. I did. But again... There's more to it. I raised my hand. Sure, okay, but aside from Salk and that woman, have you killed other people? He nodded, not even trying to explain further at this point. What? Well, how many? His eyes didn't even leave mine. That woman makes 87. I felt my knees going as I stumbled back against the kitchen counter. What? How? And why? He looked dejected. I've been trying to tell you why. It's not an easy or quick thing to explain. I dug into my pocket as he was talking. Yeah, I guess not. Pulling my phone out, I tapped out 911 and hit call. After a moment of silence, I heard it ring and then a woman's voice was on the line. 911, what's your emergency? My throat was suddenly dry as a bone. My grandfather sat silently staring at me from the table without protest, just watching. I finally managed to croak out. I, I think that there's been a murder out here. I, I think that my grandfather killed someone. 
The 911 operator wanted me to stay on the line, but I told her that I needed to go, that I would be looking out for the patrol cars. Hanging up my phone, I stuffed it into my pocket and looked again at my grandfather, who still sat silently staring at me. All right, this is your last chance, for real. They're on their way. You need to tell me what's going on right now before they get here. We can still fix this, or at least help it, but I need to understand what you've done. He glanced at the clock up on the wall and then back to me. It's better that we wait, actually. It shouldn't take them more than 10 minutes to get here, likely less. I wouldn't get very far in that moment of time, and you need to hear everything for you to understand any of it. He smiled at me. We'll just wait till they've left and we can continue if you want. I was confused and frustrated. Grandpa, if they come here and find that body, they're going to be taking you when they leave. There won't be any more story time. Maybe you need to go with them, if what you're saying is true. But I'm trying to help you. Talk to me before you have to talk to them. He gave a laugh. I know that you're doing what you think is best, Jason. I appreciate it. If I were in your shoes, I'd probably do the same thing. But don't worry about me. Everything's going to work out just fine. I wanted to protest more, but I mean, what was the point? Instead, I just stood by the counter, my gaze roaming between the window and the floor. I couldn't look at him anymore. I felt myself feeling more and more guilty and dissuaded by his reaction to me calling the police. And I tried to stop second-guessing myself. I had done the reasonable thing after listening to hours of this insanity. And I needed to remember that. There they are. I looked up to see my grandfather looking at the window. And as I followed his gaze, I saw three sheriff's deputy cars pulling up outside. I went to the back door in the kitchen and opened it, calling for them to come around that way. They asked me to step outside and tell them what was going on, which I did, focusing most on the large moustached man who was doing most of the talking. Hey, thanks for coming. I, well, my grandfather, I, I saw him last night moving a woman's body out of his car and carrying it into the woods. I talked to him about it this morning and he was telling me all this crazy stuff and... He admitted to killing that woman. I don't know what really happened, but I'm worried that he's had some sort of a, a break. He's close to 80 and he's still pretty sharp, but I... I broke off as the lead deputy raised his hand. Hold up, son. Is this Dr. Barron we're talking about? He's your grandfather? I nodded. Yeah, he is. He's... He cut me off again. Okay, where is he now? I wasn't sure what to make of his reaction, but I turned and pointed to the house. Uh, he's in there. I've got him tied to a chair in the kitchen. When I turned back, the two backup deputies had guns drawn on me. Deputy Mustache pointed a finger in my face. You stay here. Anyone else in there with him? I shook my head in stunned silence. Glaring at me, he pulled his own gun and moved towards the door going into the kitchen. The two deputies outside guarded me like I was Hannibal Lecter, their eyes flickering nervously to each other as they waited. After several minutes, I heard footsteps and turned to see my grandfather coming out of the house in front of the deputy. He was smiling and 
talking with the other man in low tones. My stomach clenched as I noticed that the deputy had put his gun away. What was going on? Mustache gestured to the other two deputies. You can stow your guns for now, boys, but keep them ready. But we've still got some things to sort out, okay? He turned to me, his expression hard. So, your grandfather explained that he gave you a prescription for... He pulled a brown pill bottle out of his pocket to read the label. Clonazepam? Just ten pills because you were having a lot of stress and trouble sleeping, what with being back at your deceased parents' home and all, which is understandable, I suppose. He had handed the bottle to my grandfather and now had his thumbs hooked into his gun belt. What is less understandable is... Why you tied him up all morning and are making up these crazy tales? I started to respond, but he raised his hand. Pard, the less you write now, the better. You listen instead, alright? Your grandpa, he's a good man, a respected doctor. Ever since your parents moved to the area, he's made a point of coming around and helping out this community as he could, even though he lives hours away. And that's good for you he said, pointing his finger at me again. Because he's convinced me not to lock you up today if you act right. He tells me that... What was the word? My grandfather smiled. Benzodiazepines, he supplied helpfully. Mustache nodded. Yeah, that. That it can sometimes cause nightmares or hallucinations. Your grandpa believes that you had some dream about him hurting someone that you think is real? He paused, looking hard at me to accentuate his point. So how does that sound to you? Does that sound better than you just went crazy and tied him up for no reason? I tried to keep myself from yelling. No, no, that doesn't sound good. I haven't taken any pills. He's lying. Deputy Mustache shook his head. Sport... The problem there is I counted the pills, and two are missing just like Dr. Darren said there would be. And this prescription is in your name. So? That doesn't mean that I took them, you idiot. I know what I saw. He carried a woman out into the woods. He admitted it to me, that he killed her. My grandfather stepped forward and headed off the deputy's angry response. Look, look, it might help him accept that it was just a drug if you go ahead and look in the woods. Show him that there's nothing there. Look, I know it's a hassle, but... Mustache was already nodding and smiling at him. No, no, doctor, it's fine. You feel up to coming with us? Sure thing. Jason, you want to lead the way? My grandfather grinned and tipped me in a wink. I led the deputies in the direction that he had carried the woman, walking as far from my grandfather as I could. I kept imagining him suddenly attacking one of the deputies and getting his gun or bolting off into the woods. But he strolled along, as calm and pleasant as if we were on a midday stroll. I could tell the deputies were barely looking around, but honestly, there was little to see. To their credit, they went along with me for close to up to two hours before, in the end, I, I just gave up. I don't think that he could have carried her out farther than we went in. I mean, the time that he was gone the night before just doesn't add up and there was no trace of anything. As we headed back toward the house, my grandfather was suddenly beside me, patting me on the shoulder with his big, strong hand. 
I stifled a yelp and tried not to flinch away. Acting more crazy wasn't going to help anything at this point. See, he whispered to me, I told you it would all be okay. Ten minutes later, the deputies were gone after making my grandfather promise that he would call them if there was any more trouble. Any more trouble from me, the crazy druggie. As soon as they were out of sight, I turned on him. How did you do that with the pills? He looked a little sheepish, his hands in his trouser pockets as he shrugged. It wasn't hard. I, I came up the day before you did. When I went into town, I ran across that woman at the gas station. From that encounter, I knew that I would be hunting while I was here, so I went ahead and called in the prescription for you on the night voicemail of the pharmacy so it wouldn't be filled until the day that you arrived. When we went by the grocery store, I picked up the prescription and kept it tucked away in case I needed it. After last night, I moved it to a kitchen drawer so it'd be ready. What? Ready for what? Why did you get the pills in the first place? Now, he looked slightly disappointed. Well, for this, what we just did. He gestured around to where the deputies had been moments before. It was a calculated risk that you might see or hear something if I took that woman while we were here, and I needed a way of explaining what you saw if you called the police. A bad dream from a drug side effect seemed like a good solution. I began to pace, my fists clenched at my side. Yeah, so you make me look crazy by planting drugs in the house? Not crazy, just stressed and taking a legally prescribed medication that didn't sit well with you. Better than them thinking that I'm some kind of serial killer. I stopped, turning to scream at him. But you are, you are a serial killer. 87 people? What do you think you are? He shook his head. I don't think it needs a name, really. I look at it like hunting, and the people that I hunt hardly deserve to be counted as human. When I kill them, they're not even entirely human biologically, and they are certainly far removed from any moral or spiritual definition of the word. But serial killer? No, that term carries way too much baggage, and while technically correct in some ways, I guess, I think looking at me as a hunter is far more apt. I started to respond, but he continued, Look at it this way. In some parts of the world, sometimes you have a lion or a bear go bad. They get a taste for people and they become a threat. He chuckled. Well, a bigger threat than a normal lion or bear. So the local people have to go together to hunt the bad animal down. Because that animal is an anomaly. It's not natural. And by killing it, the people aren't just saving themselves. They're restoring balance. He gestured towards the woods where he had carried the woman. These people that I kill, they, they aren't really people anymore. There's a lot more I need to explain to you, but the short answer is that they are unnatural and they are tied to things terrible beyond your wildest dreams. Looking up at the sky, he took a deep breath. Jason, I know that this is all hard to believe. I know that you don't know me as well as you should. And you know what? That's my fault. I tried to be a good father, but your mother was grown when Rebecca died, and to my shame, I was selfish in my grief. I isolated myself much of the time from her and your father and from you. If I hadn't, you'd likely trust me more now. I know that. He looked back at me, his eyes glistening. But I was trying to do good. 
I still am trying to do good, and my hope is that you'll come to see the value in it. If you can be patient and listen to all I have to say and see what I have to show you. I felt so tired. I wanted to believe him, but I mean, really? How could I? I didn't know what to say anymore. Finally, I muttered, What are you going to show me? Where you hid that poor woman's body? He shook his head, smiling ruefully. Oh no, that woman's body doesn't exist anymore. Literally, at least not here. Noticing my confused expression, he waved his hand. Sorry, sorry. Getting ahead of things. Let me tell you about that woman, but after that, if you're willing, I, I need you to go with me on a little trip. The wind was picking up and I suppressed a shiver. Trip? To where? The afternoon sun was high in the sky and shining down through the trees overhead. It left my grandfather dappled in shifting patches of light and shadow. He looked strange in the penumbra, both young and old, menacing and beneficent at the same time. I could see him grinning at me when he spoke, to where I study them. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.